returned a bag of groceries accidentally taken off the shelf before the expiration date. I came back as a bag of groceries accidentally taken off the shelf before the day stamped on my sand. Did a large procession wave their torches as my head fell in. Jeff Lester. Fred McMillan. I have to admit, I'm I'm struggling today. Uh, I, I've had a, a I'm mourning. I'm in mourning for the Human Torch. It's been uh, it's been rough, hasn't it? I've been listening to the Bangles Eternal Flame just continuously uh, since it happened. Uh, and the bit where they go say my name, I always go Johnny Storm. It's it's very sad. Yes. Yes, it's tough. Have you have you gone to any of the vigils? That I I haven't, and also have to admit, I haven't even read the comic. But still, <laughs> <laughs> have you? No, no. I did have that moment of like, oh wait, I could somehow go get this comic book, you know, because Hibbs would have it, be able to sell it, and I'm on, you know, I'm on the sub list, and I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna. You know, that's the thing. I, when I mentioned this to Edie, she sort of said, why would people go on a Tuesday to get one comic book when they can't get the rest of their new comics until the next day? Yeah, it's a completely good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to wonder, I don't know if you saw, but Marvel today announced their other early release, which was for the Orson Scott cards. Um, I, just, I always want to call it the Formulaic Wars, and I know that's not what it's called. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's like, I think it's the Formic Wars. It's one of his Ender's Game comics. Ah. Um, they were doing an early release for that with Comics Pro, and they've cancelled it. Wow, why did they cancel that? They said distribution, I think said distribution problems, but I did wonder if it was because, like, the feedback they got from Fantastic Four yesterday was just like, yeah, it's not worth it. Wait, well, I mean, I sort of got the idea of, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just not a not a good idea whatsoever. I mean, I kind of thought that it was great, the idea that, that Marvel was doing something to support Comics Pro. I kind of thought that was kind of a good deal. But, yeah, maybe they're, the whole... They're still doing the Comics Pro parties. It's just they're all happening on the Wednesday now, which I think, to be honest, is a terrible idea because Wednesday's new Comics Day. Right, right, exactly. So, I'm yeah, I'm not quite sure how that all is going to work out they've, they've got to come up with a way to do something certainly but, but um, so. yeah so, they, so they've cancelled it but uh, I did not go and get my, my early edition of Fantastic Four partially because I'm not reading Fantastic Four mm-hmm. uh, but I did enjoy people on the internet yesterday complain that me saying that I wasn't going to buy the comic was because uh, I was prejudging it based upon the hype and it was kind of like no I've, I've not been buying the comic all along <laughs> right, exactly. I'm sorry I've not been put off by that like I I might have been put off by the hype because I think the hype would be badly done but it's more just I'm not buying this comic anyway as it is I, I'm actually going to end up buying it because I'm reviewing it for Techland this week but still <laughs> it'll be like the first Fantastic Four I bought in since like Hickman's first issues mm-hmm. yeah I was signed on for Hickman's first arc uh, and it was okay, and then they changed up on the art, and then I was like, nah. and then I pretty much stopped reading, but thanks to the miracle of my sub-list, I have faithfully bought most of the issues that are sitting in a big old long box that I have yet to, yet to crack them up. <laughs> you might enjoy it. I keep on being told by many people whose opinions I respect that it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Me too, but they also seem to dig like the first arc that I thought was kind of okay. Yeah, I, I was the same. I was like, mm-hmm. well, that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone's like, no, oh, it's it's revolutionary. And it's like, it's not. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So part of me is kind of like, it's one of those situations where you respect the people, but they're just obviously coming, since they, right out of the gate, they're coming from a very, very different place than me. It's just like, yeah. What I really need to do is I need to stop 
reading interviews with people for books that I think are kind of just okay, you know, because like I read that really, Laura that really does put you off, doesn't it? It really does. It you, really does. It's such it? dissonance that like the book does not live up to what they think the book is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I don't even necessarily think that they. I mean, it makes sense. Like even someone who's kind of modestly, you know, they're not even doing the Mark Miller, like, this is going to be the most amazing thing, you'll, like, ejaculate backwards kind of thing. Just, or, just or the talk. Or they go, this is the hardest thing I've ever written. Right. I thought, the, I, thought, I thought Fear Itself number one was the hardest thing I ever had to write, and then I wrote I actually said that. I know. That was like, you told me last week, and I'm like, that's one of my favorite all-time quotes. I really, I really should use that in everyday life all the time. <clears throat> Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's just the idea of like, they're being treated, you know, the interviewers usually being very, you know, uh, at best gracious and at worst, you know, tongue slobbery about, about the accomplishments and the writer of course is, or the creator is there to promote the work. So they're not going to be like, yeah, frankly, I had a tendency to not be able to end the story, which is why some of the early issues just sort of stopped, you know. Well, here, you say that. Uh, I, are you reading the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic? Uh, I'm not. I have I've fallen off. The, so the last issue came out last week. Mm-hmm. And first of all, it was the best issue of the run. Really? By far. Wow. Uh, and secondly, it ends with, uh, one page text piece from Joss Whedon where he says just matter of factly so that was season 8 in which we learned what we could and couldn't do in comics and he pretty much like spends a page being like yeah I completely carried away with the fact that we had no budget and we could do whatever we wanted and that's not what Buffy's about and I've realized what Buffy's about again and I've completely Holy redone shit. my plans for season six, for season 9 as a result he's like Buffy is about People being down to earth. Buffy is not about superheroes. Buffy is not about everything being crazy. It's about one thing being crazy and about that thing being a metaphor for real life. Holy smokes. I know. It's, uh, that, it really took me by surprise because he's pretty much just out there being like, yeah, I get carried away. <laughs> Man, that's amazing. I know. Oh my God. It's really good, wasn't it? I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm like... I have so much more respect because you just came out and said, you know, I'm not... Because he doesn't at any point say, like, it's terrible. Right. Because right. that's not what you do. But he does come out and say, like, I get carried away, and that's not what Buffy's about. Yeah, which I, I'm just kind of like, there is no better way to basically make sure that I will be checking out the beginning of Season 9. So you should check out last issue of Season 8, because it's pretty I'm, much like Issue 0 of Season 9. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. That'd be really interesting. Um, that's really... Huh. Well, uh, yes, that is a refreshing change. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but no, I, 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 I mean, it's very, very unusual. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is, I mean, yeah, interviews are never, you know, well, I could have done that better. I mean, occasionally you get people who say that. Normally it's when they've got some distance from the work. It's never for a run that they're currently doing. Right. Well, and, and of course, Whedon, of course, has the power to, you know, He's not like a freelancer on a licensed property trying to chase his next meal ticket. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, in a, in a larger way, he is. But in this regard, it's very easy for him to say, eh, that didn't work. We didn't quite do this right. Or, you know, like we're going to change things up because we sort of got carried away. That, you know, he does have the freedom to do that. Um, probably the same way that I would assume like editors at Marvel or DC could say something like that. And the, the creators absolutely can't. You know, I, you'll really... never, but you'll never get an editor at Marvel or DC saying that ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You will never get someone being like, "Wow, that didn't work." Even though, even when there are times where they really should, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like when well... they've had a run. No, but when they've had a run and the run has not worked out so well, well it's case right. point. JMS. Mm-hmm. Like it would be in everyone's favor for them to come out and be like, "We tried it. It didn't work. What can you do? We're going to change your plans." But it said they're they're always like that was a groundbreaking run and we're going to continue it right now. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, I agree. But uh, but but came out and said, mm-hmm. "Huh? Well, didn't work out the way we thought it was going to." But do you think? And maybe I'm maybe my my sense of history is mistaken. I think you'd have a better sense of this than me. Isn't that something that sort of? 
something that DC has been ramping up toward over the last few years? Like, couldn't you still kind of go to a con and have Dan Tadio say, yeah, Countdown would kind of blew that, you know? Or no, is, I, don't, is... I, I don't think Tadio's ever... I, just, I don't think anyone's ever come out and said Countdown's been blown. I, that's not true. The creators have been in a mm-hmm. really roundabout sense. Mm. They've said things like, yeah, we're going to ignore that. They've never mm-hmm. come out and said, you know it was a train wreck? Okay. Yeah. Um, and I kind of wish they would do you know what I mean like you get you really get the a very sort of political we're not going to concentrate on that or you're going to see any of that anytime soon then you ever get someone coming out just and saying yeah that was that was a mess it's a shame okay that's good to know I'd love to I really would love it if creators and, and editors and publishers even were like not even like it's a mess but just like we tried this it didn't work i think we can all agree it didn't work <laughs> right. let's move on right exactly yeah i i uh <clears throat> I, I you know it's so frustrating because i i feel like the the marketplace uh, or people who follow the scene for the marketplace like are just dying for any dribs and drabs of authenticity you know in that sense of it's like reading the Brevoort and Alonzo's column uh, over at CBR. Is it CBR? Uh, New yeah, CBR. No, it's CBR. Okay. Oh, it is CBR. Okay, yeah. great. Uh, you know, is like they have like just moments. And it's the same thing with, with Cup of Joe where they will have little moments of kind of partial like it seems like candor and then it somehow gets wrapped up in like a big old you know, bagel dog of a like, oh, but better things are coming, you know. I was yeah. always fa- fascinated by when Casado was kind of like talking about how he, he felt like, well, you know, like a year later or two years later, he's like, yeah, we kind of fucked up uh, one more day. Um, and I almost lost a friendship over with JMS over it. But hey, it had to be done, you know. Um, I don't know. Like those things, I'm like, oh, my God, why couldn't you have said that at the time? It just feels like. Like you said, we need more of it. I feel like that's why people read this stuff, not for the endless amounts of hype. Yeah, it, it's... I don't know, you're never going to get... You're never going to get someone when something is coming out say, right. you know... Even even like Hickman was never going to come out and say the first six issues were slow and I was still settling in. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Which is what which is what I've heard from a lot of people now. I've heard, you know, okay, you didn't like the first really try the second storyline that's where it all came together and that might be fans trying to justify liking it to someone who doesn't like it if that makes sense you know okay okay, that didn't work we'll try this um but it might also be true because people take time to settle in uh and i mean i for example case i really like um, James Robinson's Superman run, even though Superman is not really in it. Like, it's it's all part of the new Krypton, you know, mm-hmm. Mon takes over thing. But the first five, six issues of his run mm-hmm. is pretty much unlike everything else he does during his run. <laughs> and I can completely understand if you picked up, like, the first hardcover. Or uh, even more, Robinson's Justice League. If you picked mm-hmm. up the first collection of Robinson's Justice League, it's mm-hmm. nothing like the rest of his run. <laughs> And I'd, I'd love it if he was to be like, yeah, I was completely hamstrung by editorial at that point. You know, my first three issues are two two different crossovers with characters who then disappear from the book entirely. Right. You know? Right. But but he's not. He'll be like, you know, well, I took care of some old storylines and then I had to do this. Because <laughs> you, you could never be like, God, it started really roughly. Because I think fans demand an infallibility from the creators. I, I think, I think someone being like, it's like um, you, I was listening to a word balloon interview with Jeff Barker yesterday, and they were asking because he's creating new characters for his Hulk run, and uh, John Suntra says something along the lines of, "I hear a lot of people who want to save their new creations for their own creator own works. Mm-hmm. You know, are you concerned about that?" And Parker pretty much says. No, I'll save some for my own works, but some are Hulk characters. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, you know, fans don't want... Yeah, I don't want to be someone who fans think are holding back on something like Hulk. 
Mm. And I think it's the same thing. I think fans always want to think that like, the creator is giving, not only giving their best shot, but creating their best work. Right. And so I think saying, I wasn't entirely present for that. Or, you know, this didn't work out for reasons that, you know, I can't quite explain or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can say when the run is going on because I think it creates this fear in the the, the generic fan mentality that that's going to happen again and they're not 100% committed to the run. Therefore, why should the reader get committed to the run? Right. Right. Well, I, which is kind of the case, I guess, when uh, McDuffie was talking, did talk openly about his problems with Justice League. Yeah, which, which everyone was like, oh my God, I can't believe he said that. While at the same time being like, I knew that's what was going on. Right. And you were just like, oh, fuck, you're fired. <laughs> you know, it was just like, oh, what do we do? Uh, Len Wein's taking over three issues. Okay. <laughs> Is it done? Is it over? Has everyone stopped looking at us? Oh, God. And it's hilarious. Like, it'd be funny if they were just like, it's like when DC always says, instead of saying like, you know, JMS uh, is leaving Superman here, you know, at least Chris Robertson's taking over and it'll be great. They're like, JMS is such a success Earth 1. He's doing Earth 2. It's great. Oh, my God. He's kind of not doing Superman, but that's okay. He's like, they can never just be like, hey, we're a business. Shit right. happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because, I, but I, this is kind of that weird dissonance is I sort of feel like on, on the one hand, we kind of think they, people pile on them when they do take one route and they pile on them when they take the other route. You know, I mean, I know what I would prefer, but my preference is hearing people talk quite openly about this stuff, you know, as close to in real time as as possible, just so that there's the idea that there's some sort of um, awareness, awareness. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of like, OK, I, that means they're, they're the idea that I will actually read an interview with a creator about a run and it's going to be interesting or will show me something you know, or, or will keep me, you know, cause otherwise it just gets too easy to dismiss as like, well, it's just hype and they're not going to tell me anything. And as you point out, why should they, you know, like really it, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't serve them well as far as the infallible, you know, fan mentality. And it doesn't serve them well as far as the business is like, <laughs> you're fired. You yeah, know, exactly. Kind of like there, thing, there is, so. there is almost nothing, um, there's almost no reason for creators to be honest about their fuck-ups in interviews yeah. anymore. Yeah, because not, they, none they, at all. They'll, they'll get hit by the fans, and they'll get hit by their employers. Yeah, exactly. Which is a shame, mm-hmm. because I would love to read interviews like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, you know, I, 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 but here's the thing, like, I, I think you were saying, you, you know, you'd like, you'd like to read it real time. <laughs> You'd like to read a Hickman interview where he's like, yeah, this is what we're doing. Um, and I'm, you know, and I've settled in and, you know, mm-hmm. it took me a while to settle in, but I like where we're at now. Right. I, I would be happy with when the run is over. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I, 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 I will happily just be like, you know, take your time. Right. Take take your time. But I just at some point being able to read it. But I don't yeah. think you do. I, I just, I think there's, so many things in place to stop creators being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of it is also, I mean, Laura and Comics Alliance do really good interviews. Uh, Vanessa mm-hmm. Newsarama does good interviews. Right. Uh, you'll get something like a Tim Callahan talking to someone in his column at CBR, and it's a great interview. Definitely. But the majority of comics journalism is there to hype a product that's supposed to actually run an interview. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you remember when Rich Johnson did Waiting for Tommy for Dynamic Forces for a while? And those were like uh, interviews, interviews. Oh, totally. Totally. You know, and they I, were great. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They were no, really exactly. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, those those were great. And it felt like things were being sort of thrashed out in real time. Uh but yeah, no, I mean, I totally as a as a huge comics journal junkie growing up, I just loved watch re- hearing mainstream creators talk uh, pretty openly back then about you know problems that they were having with the run or you know I mean most of those guys, God bless them, were not prepared to go nine rounds with Gary Groth and you know sort of stumbled out of the interview 
battered up, but you still got some really fascinating takes on the process or oh, grudges yeah. or, you know. And... Ha, have you read the comics journal? I think it's called The Writers. There's like a, a book collection. Of, oh, yeah. Of, mm-hmm. I think it's mostly from the 70s. They've got yeah, like Engelhart, Gerber, yeah, Wolfman, like all mm-hmm. these people talking about what they're doing at the time. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's because at that time you could do an interview like that and it could pretty much be under the radar of the bosses mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think you can do on the internet anymore. I just I just don't think you could say... I just don't think you could say something like, you know, well, I wanted to use character X, but character X wasn't available and I had to, you know, that really fucked up my plans. Um, without, right. without your boss reading about it. Do you know what right. I mean? I, getting, well, uh, getting back to the Jeff Parker... Yes. Yesterday, um, first of all, I love Word Balloon in terms of like podcasts. I don't know if you listen to it or not, but Word Balloon I really, really enjoy. It, in part because it goes off topic an incredible amount, but also because with the right guests, it becomes a really interesting conversation. And Jeff Parker is a spectacular guest. Uh, in part because he does just go completely off topic. Like he starts this latest one uh, singing a song from South Pacific. <laughs> Just, just because. Um, but also, he says like uh, they're talking about Agents of Atlas, and uh, John Centra says something along the lines of, "You know, I'm really glad that you used Gorilla Man in that Deadpool team up issue." Mm-hmm. And Parker says, "All right, you know, I didn't. That wasn't my plan. I kept putting up other characters, and they just wouldn't let me use them." Huh. And he's like, "Eventually, I was like, okay, well, do you want me to use Gorilla Man?" And they're like, "Yes, do that." But, like, even that, you don't feel like you hear a lot. Do you know what I mean? No, no, exactly, exactly. You really don't hear that a lot. Um, so, which is funny, because I, I feel like the industry prides itself on having a huge number of straight shooters, you know? Uh, I, I feel I, like that's a Jim Shooter pun somehow. Yeah, straight shooter. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, no, I just mean, like, guys who seem like they sort of, you know... Um, pride themselves on being able to, to sort of shoot from the hip. Yeah, but I, uh, I think almost every comic creator who's like, I tell it like it is, doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much <laughs> so. You know I mean? It's, it's very much just like a self-styled self-mythology thing. I mean, you get someone like, and we've said this so many times in this podcast, but um, like, you know, you get Ben just being like, I really study my work. And it's like, you obviously don't. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Or again, Miller, of course, who is the, who, you know, who takes the self-mythologizing to this new level, which is great because it's always with this impressive patina of faux humility to it, which is, which is part of what makes it just such an amazing concoction, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but as, as I increasingly come to think, like, I think Miller is so self-aware mm-hmm. that like he's, I think he's gone even beyond self-parody now. No, I'm serious. I think, like, he's... I think he realized when he passed into self-parody and he pushed it further. So it's become something else. <laughs> like, there is now a Miller style of hype. Yes. Do you know what I mean? That that you just hear someone say or someone approach and you're like, oh, it's Mark Miller. Mm-hmm. I think he's really actively cultivated that. I think at some point he was like, this is the sort of thing I say a lot. What if I say it more? Yeah, I actually loved uh, fake Mark Miller on Twitter. I used to follow. I, I still follow him. I don't think they. It, it really, yeah, really, really rare updates. It's yeah, like once every six months or something, which is a shame. It is a shame because that first glorious, like, you know, three weeks or something like that, the person just really had it nailed down. Just that mix of, and yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right. I think Miller is. Because he's always aware. He's, I think he's very conscious about the idea of image and how to craft that image and how to play with that image. I, I think, you know, he and Ellis are, are guys who are probably more successful at that in many ways than they are with the, the quality of their books to an extent. Yeah, I was going to say they're, they're much better um, self-hypes than they are writers. I was actually thinking about that, the... the other day because uh, I always want to call them sequential art and that's not what they're called. Sec art? Is that what they're called? The people who did the Grant Morrison documentary are now doing an Ellis documentary. Yes. And they've called like 2011 is their year of Ellis and they've got like two books coming out in Ellis and a documentary. Right. Uh, And my first thought upon hearing that was I'm not sure he 
can live up to that. No, seriously, I feel, I feel like Alice has some major works mm-hmm. and an incredible amount of lesser works. Right. And I feel like his lesser works are all... It's not even like, for example, The Filth, I think, is Morrison's reaction to The Invisibles. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a lesser work than Invisibles, but I think it's still interesting. I think Alice's lesser works are like rehashes as opposed to responses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point. I um, Part of the reason why I was chortling was at, at New York Comic Con, um, I showed up at the tail end of the Grant Morrison Gods and Monsters screening slash panel where they showed mm-hmm. excerpts and they showed a teaser trailer for the Ellis documentary. And it was hilarious to me because of course it's like shots of like like voiceovers of Ellis and it's just him smoking and drinking. You know, it's like him like pouring like shots of like whiskey and doing a shot and then smoking and meanwhile he's like, you know, the, the voiceover of him talking about his work and he's got the the beard and you know a hat a cowboy hat of some sort and it was it was hilarious i mean a lot of people in the audience actually chuckled because it really was kind of um it seemed so much more affected i think you know ellis is one of those guys where i think his um you know, he does a fantastic job of being being able to create this image kind of behind the scenes. A lot of people, when they meet him, are like, wow, he's an incredibly generous, great guy, you know, which sort of runs at odds with his Stalin image. And then, yeah, when you get into the idea of his actual work, I, I think that it would have, you know, um, been considered parody or self-parody much sooner, I think, if, I guess, if someone had been tracking it more closely. You know, I I think Ellis's great strength is because he's so in control of social media. It's something that he is interested in and enjoys and is willing to put the the work into, uh, that he's constantly creating a churn of new fans, which I think is really helpful for him. You know, oh, I, th- I think it thing. is because I think that the amount of um, I'm trying to think of a good way of saying the self-referential work that Ellis does, or or I think of a nice way to say rehash. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but but this way, I think Ellis has um, a much more limited bag of tricks, shall we say, mm-hmm. than Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think he gets away with it in part because he does generate such uh, a rabid and b uh, repeat, repeatedly replenishing fan base. Yes. So that when someone grows tired of seeing someone talk about like Bluetooth technology while smoking, and you know, here's a tough woman who you know is wearing leather and is a filthy assistant or whatever, um, someone else will have taken their place. Like Alice's Alice's fan base is comic book Hydra, right? <laughs> that's that's a perfect comparison. That is that is absolutely which which is a really like it is great for him. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I hope the Alice documentary does, which I know it won't, but the one thing I wish it would do is focus on. Do you remember when he was like? fuck superheroes. And then, like, two years later, he's like, I'm doing Ultimate Fantastic Four, but only because my friends asked. Right, right. Like, I would love them to focus on that. Yeah. I'd love them to be like, you know, you tried, again, you tried this and it didn't work and you had to go back. Yeah, or or even to an extent, Ellis never, like, I think his Freak Angels is as close as he comes to he, he's a guy who, who railed a lot for creators' rights and and the idea of a DYI aesthetic. And I'm not sure he never really got past the D himself. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he, he did the D and the I. He never really quite got to the Y, it feels like to me. He ran the... He's got his own website, but he never self-published. And Freak Angels is the only thing that he does, you know, that 
that I think of as a tr sort of traditional indie creator do-it-yourself aesthetic. And even then... But, but he's not doing it himself. It comes from Avatar. Right. I mean, that's... And that's... Which is really my point, is is that it that's as close as it gets. And it's a long ways away. And he's been... He has been making those noises for, like, a long time. And I don't know if it's something that's an interest to him or if it's a way for him that he's very aware that that is an in as far as you know his fan base goes but it's always been something that that has kind of exasperated me you know um and and i have you know i mean admittedly it's i don't know we'll we'll see where it goes but there is the sense of i think ellis is really really good at talking the talk the the degree to which he has ever walked the walk, I think, has been something that's just... Well, I can I can agree and disagree at the same time on this one, I think. Um, mm -hmm. In part because I don't think you'll ever see someone like Alice completely self-publishing. Mm -hmm. But I think, for example, his graphic novella line from Avatar, I think, is really close to that idea. Or doing the, the books with AIT. Mm-hmm. Like I, th I think he has pushed uh, more so than many writers of his stature within the industry pushed himself into different formats. Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think as somebody pointed out a, a while ago, most of the creators in the industry like Morris and like like Bendis, actually Jeff Johns is about the only dude that doesn't have some sort of like um, self-owned thing going on on the side where his stuff well, is entirely uh, but, in the Yeah, world. but this time like Ennis owns his Avatar stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, but he also didn't he didn't have to, I assume, front any money of it. His idea of like um, his idea of it is kind of like I'm getting paid a pittance my page rate is a pittance, but I get to do whatever I want. And I'm See, like, I, I'm really, really tempted to say that I severely doubt that Miller or Bendis are fronting their own money for any of the Icon books. I No, I agree, but that's what I'm saying. That sort of level of faux independence seems to be pretty rampant. Yeah, but what I'm saying is Ellis, in terms of format, is, doing, uh, is pushing himself more than a Bendis or a Miller or a Morrison. Well, in that he's doing web comics, I no, guess, but, that, but, but that he's doing uh, graphic novels or done in ones that he's not just doing the thirty-two page monthly comic book mm -hmm. in full color. Yeah, I suppose that's. I suppose that's I, true. I. I feel like he's. He's. I tell you, once experimenting because he's not doing anything that original, mm -hmm. but he's at least doing things outside of the norm more. I feel like he is at least in, asserting his independence in that way. As opposed to being like, you know, I've come up with, I can't even think of any of the LS Avatar books. It's, it's, was it Aesthetic Mechanics or something like that? Like Crazy, but, which I love. Crazy, yeah. You know, I, I thought of Crazy, and it's going to be three 32-page comic books. And then it'll be collected in, you know, in a trade. And instead right. he was like, I said, it's a done-in-one graphic novel. Yeah. Which I don't like. I don't think you'll ever get uh, Miller doing. Mm-hmm. Or for that matter, Morrison. Mm -hmm. mm, well, not recently, that's for sure. I mean, you have to go all the way back to the mystery play, right? Yeah, exactly. Or um, Kill Your Boyfriend. Right, or Kill Your Boyfriend. Um, you know, uh, Vaughn did Pride of Baghdad, I guess. But yeah, no, I, 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 I don't want to quibble because I think you're right. I think there's, and he certainly has been willing to play in a variety of different styles of comic even though they all end up being sort of Ellis comics. Ellis comics, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no no no. And I don't I don't want to rob him of his due. I just on the other hand, I feel like his I feel that Ellis's self mythology is is a his, little more brittle, I guess. You know? Well I, I think Ellis's self mythology is like Miller's his greatest creation. Yes. I exactly. don't think any of his comics will ever live up to that. Um and yeah, I, as as a writer, uh, I think that I'm not sure he. I don't want to say deserves that amount of attention because you know everyone, well not everyone, but many people deserve that amount of attention. I guess mm -hmm. what I'm saying is I'm not sure he deserves it over other writers. Right. Um. You know, I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, to me, it's kind of, I, 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 to me, I prefer to change the, change the context from not so much deserving, but whether it, whether it, again, whether it can survive that level of scrutiny or context, but you know, I mean, in a way, there's going to be no scrutiny. That's the thing. Like, right. You know, let's be honest. These are going to be like the Morrison documentary, which I liked, but it was, it's simply uncritical. And it was, it was, it was, um, cliff notes. Like it jumped. If you didn't know Morrison's career, you think Morrison had only written like six projects all of which were hyper successful and changed the industry forever. Right. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like it didn't, I don't even think it mentioned Justice League. Huh. No, it pretty much goes, you know, I did my small comics. I worked for Starblazer. Then I did Zenith. Then I went and did Animal Man and Doom Patrol and they were revolutionary. Then I did Invisibles. Mm-hmm. And then where do they jump to there from there? Like, like I don't three think, and then... I'm not even sure. I, I think you see We 3. I don't think like it really discusses We 3. I don't think it talks about Final Crisis. I don't think it talks about Batman. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it. But, um, and obviously, it's a film and there's a limit for running time. And it's not like anyone really wants them to do it. And then your next project was the right. Secret Origins issue 50, where you retold Flash of Two Worlds for the new DC community where there were two worlds. Like, no one wanted to see that. But at the same time, it was so spotty that that it really was just like an hour and a half or two hours, however long it was, of of adding to the Morrison mythology as opposed to investigating the Morrison mythology. And the Ellis thing will be the same, I'm sure. The Ellis thing will be completely repeating the Ellis myth. Yes, As opposed to exploring the Alice Smith. And I think there's a lot more interest, to me at least, in exploring. Well, of course. I mean, and, and who knows? I, I'm sure I'm sure Chad Nevitt, who's working on, you know, who's editing one of the Alice books that's coming out from Art, would be very quick to insist that, you know, that his book on Transmetropolitan will indeed be explorations. But, but yeah, I mean, documentaries are by their like if you want the person to cooperate i i think it would be really you know difficult for somebody to be like yeah um warren we would actually really love to like have you talk and then we'll have the running text of your infamous uh you know uh sex text message um you know Imbroglio, uh run underneath it, and maybe then go and interview that person and see what they say about it. You know, not cool. I, I don't, I, and, I, and I'm sure, and I'm sure that per, I'm sure you know. Of course, they're like, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, puff pieces got a puff, I guess, is the way we we have to look at it. Unfortunately, but it would be nice. Uh, I do hope that there will that there will be and are people who are in in the process of preparing themselves to sort of track down the secret history, I guess, uh, of the industry during this time. See, you know? he, this is what, and I'm speaking with absolutely no insider knowledge or, or anything, but mm-hmm. this is what I wish the Comics Journal would do. Mm-hmm. I wish the Comics Journal would establish some sort of presence or whatever to mm-hmm. be a critical but not dickish voice for the mainstream media, the mainstream comics. Right. Um, because I think it used to be, uh, and I think through something like Amazing Heroes, it used to be as well. We'll see. And, I, I, and I feel that the Comics Journal has actively removed itself from that. Right. Um, in part because it's like, you know, well, it's only superhero comics. Mm-hmm. Which I think is just, it's... I was thinking about this the other day, I think, in response to Steve Niles. Did you see Steve Niles' thing about creator-owned comics? Oh, yeah, I did. So it repeats this thing that uh, Matt Fraction said before as well, and Dallas, um, which is pretty much, you know, focus on the positive, accentuate the positive, don't be negative. And I have such a problem with that. Yeah. Because, like, criticism is good. Mm-hmm. Being a dick is not. But right. criticism is good. Um, no, I agree. And, and I yeah. really, really have a problem with this, this idea of if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Because then you end up with just this meaningless thing instead of journalism. And the internet as a whole, as it is set up, 
does not encourage journalism. Right. Because it wants hits. Mm-hmm. It wants sensationalism. It wants eyeballs. And people are not going to... Unless, like, your, your investigative reporting <laughs> uncovers, like, something sensational, which is not always or usually the case, it's not going to get that. So it's much easier to run... Um, you know, here is whatever. Here's Andrew Garfield's the new Spider-Man costume. Uh, or, sure. you know, someone's fallen off the stage and turned off the dark again. Ha ha ha. Uh, then, did you see Veneta's piece on Newsarama about the comics code? Uh, yes. That it has yes, essentially been defunct since 2009? Yeah. That was a great story. That was a great piece of reporting. I'm Actually, so I'm going to disagree with you, Graham. I really? thought that that was kind of a half-done piece of reporting. I, I, unless I remember it, because it was kind of like, it was sort of like, well, we tried contacting people, like there were like some dots were connected, but it really was this idea of like, for example, several people said, like, as far as they could tell, the comics code once you paid them, they just rubber stamped your books, which explains a lot of why why the books came out there. But she didn't really it, it, point it to explains a lot about how DC managed to get a lot of stuff with the comics code. Totally, yeah. I mean, it really right. did. It was like okay, mm-hmm. yeah that that was a big deal. I mean, I thought it was okay. I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a sign of how anemic our news reporting is that 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 was a. That that's a good story for our marketplace. It struck me as kind of skimpy and not all the way there. I think in part because you nobody was willing I, to talk I, to her. I think I think you're probably right. I I might totally might be grading on a curve when I'm I'm thinking it's great. Right. So uh, I, I, or I'm a dick, but I mean either of those two. Well, well I, somewhere between the two. You're dickish, <laughs> and yet I'm over enthusiastic. How about that? Um, <laughs> That no, does but, cover the bases nicely. <laughs> nice. um, no, but like that did. I would lay money that didn't get anywhere near as much hits as mm. like whatever generic uh, fear itself blowjob interview mm-hmm. went up the same day. Of course. Um, and but to have that environment and to then have creators say people are being so negative and destructive. We should only focus on what's positive. Right. It's just like fuck you. Yeah. Like uh, this is not this is not a mentality that is good for anyone. And I can uh, yeah why, I can totally see why creators say it because that way they a can condemn all criticism as you know haters got to hate, mm-hmm. uh, and b can justify they're not taking any criticism on board. Yeah. Um, but it's really bad. It's really, really, really bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, that's the thing. When you say it's not good for anybody, I'm like, well, it is pretty good for those people. Like, it is pretty good for indie creators. Yeah, but here's the thing. It's not. Because remember what we were talking about last week with uh, the Fraction O'Malley interview? We're Mm -hmm. talking about, like, the danger of everyone agreeing with you and it will drive you mad. Yes. It's the same thing. Yeah, no, I. I, I mean, it's it's good for them insofar as like they'll feel good that they're not reading things that are like, well, you know, this issue was paced shitly, right? But it's not good for them. Well, no, I mean, when uh, I, 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 of course, am being glib. It's being, it's good for their bank balance. It's good for their ego, but it, and their ego, but ultimately, it it has deleterious effects for them for the industry. Because once you erode everything, once it becomes all, you know, sunshine and smiles, the fact of the matter is the only people who excel, who become crit- – in other words, there are no critical darlings when everyone's a critical darling. So yeah. at some point – I mean, that's it. If everyone had hyped every other horror comic exactly at the same level as 30 Days of Night, Steve Niles wouldn't, wouldn't be Steve Niles. If he didn't have a first issue where people turned around and went, hey, this is really good. This stands above, you know. But if you make it a level playing field where everything is just great, ultimately that, that serves nobody, I think ultimately including including the creators. You yeah, know? And no, I, think I, that, I agree. 
Yeah, I of, well, of course. You and you and I having this conversation, unfortunately, there are not there. There will be no blows uh, exchanged. Hey, I've already, I've already called you dickish, so you know. There's that. agreed. Actually, I think I called myself dickish. And you, well, no, you, you called yourself a dick. Right, and you went for dickish. Yes, I, I do. Yes, you're right. So we, are, we are disagreeing. I'm pulling back in your dick level. <laughs> Which. I'm sorry I started laughing because that's like slash fickers start your engines now. Yeah, exactly. That long awaited grand slash can start now. With that line. Well, so on that news, do you want to tell me about what comics you've reading? Because I am desperately behind. I'll tell you what I have on my shelves, but I can't really talk about what I've read yet. Tell me what you have in your channel. I have some awesome stuff. The Reed Fleming hardcover by IDW looks gorgeous. And I had a thought that I mentioned on Twitter that um, a listener of the podcast, uh, Mostly Minutia is his uh, Twitter name, and I'm not going to be able to jump over and look it up directly. Uh, sort of went, oh yeah, like flipping through Reed Fleming's uh, the the hardcover, it reminded me of Akewood a lot, which is kind of interesting, because they are in some ways are totally dissimilar, but there's something about the comparison and contrast between the two, I totally want to sit down yeah, it, with a big pile of Akewood. It's funny, because you said that, and I was like, oh yeah, and then pretty much immediately, I was like, I'm not sure why I said oh yeah. <laughs> right, exactly, you have that moment of like, yes, perfect, and then you're like, but why? Like, they're utterly different. Like, Boswell does not play with language the way that, that Onstat does, which is, you know, one of his great gifts. But they have a weird, they have a is love. Is it the world's Yeah, I think so. They have a big love of, like, of, like, surreal slapstick and violent louts and weird, almost Lynchian plot turns, I guess, that I think make them really good kissing cousins. Uh, and maybe there's some sort of their fondness of gray back tones. I, I don't, I honestly don't know, but that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to sitting down and seeing if that's something I can thrash out. So I, I read something this week, um, mm-hmm. actually on your recommendation. Uh, mm-hmm. and I have to thank you. Oh, which Yay. is Steve Englehart's vision and Scarlet Lich miniseries. <laughs> which did, did you know there's a collection of the whole thing? No, I think, well, or rather, I think you mentioned that to me and it it's, blew my it's, mind. It's called A Year in the Life, and holy shit, it's so much better than you said. <laughs> I'm not joking. I would read that as a regular comic immediately if it was still going. Really? It is, oh my goodness. It's, in part, it's just so wacky. It is wacky, isn't it? It's oh. it's crazy. Um mm-hmm. But also, like, there are things I genuinely liked about it. I love that it happens in real time. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love I love that every month, like, it's the it's things that are happening that month, um, including the spectacular guest shot by Luke Cage to celebrate Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> oh my just, God! Did you wow. forget that? I did utterly. Oh, my oh I'm, I'm going to see if, if the book is anywhere around here because uh, the, the quote he gives about Martin Luther King Day. Because let's just say, Steve Englehart, who I want to say like might have been one of the first writers for Luke Cage. Um, he was in there pretty early, but you know, back in those days, like everyone rotated through the books that didn't sell. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but, but, everybody um, yeah, worked he, on that he, title. Okay, so here he does. Here goes. Um, I'm real proud us blacks finally got a holiday for one of our own and all. But to me, what it really means is blacks finally got certified as part of the society. And the way we all just fell into working together today says that too. King Day don't say we're different from white folks. It says we're equal. We ain't better. And brother, we sure ain't no worse. Wow. Oh, I'm telling you, it's that's that's the level of... of conversation in the whole thing i I, like, is, I, I didn't know for example this was the book where crystal cheats on quicksilver and they get a divorce yes uh i i the even even for a steve angle heart comic uh the conception of wanda's children is kind of weird and creepy yes <laughs> even yeah. for a steve angle heart comic who yeah exactly like, like specialized in that sort of thing 
Um, it's it's just it's amazing. I mean, it's it's really really incredible. Uh, just I mean, and, and also the vision becoming more quote unquote human. Yes, that was the part that unnerved me more than anything. Yeah, um, that was the part that also, stuck with me. When, when has, and did he com- continue this after the series, start calling Scarlet Witch Curly Top all the time? <laughs> See, I think that series was where John Byrne, like, crapped himself, like, nine times over, and was like, this... Well, yeah, it's quite clearly, like, because immediately when he takes over... Uh, Mm-hmm. Was Avengers. He's like, okay, that's not the vision. That's not the Scarlet Witch. I'm just yeah. hitting them. The kids don't exist. I mean, like, his first, what? In fact, his entire run of Moscow's Avengers <laughs> dedicated to undoing this miniseries. Exactly. Exactly. Like, piece by piece, bit by anything that comes up in it. Um, and did Richard Howell do the art on all of yes, that? Yes. Isn't that it? Which, bless his heart, uh, w- was also part of the reason why. I-, I thought I thought that Richard Howell made Don Perlin look smooth, you know? Um, so it wasn't, re- he's not really my, I'm not a fan so much, which... Oh, it's, I know, I, I am a fan. I'm a fan of everything about this. And the collection, if you get the collection at the library, like you should. Um, <laughs> first of all, has the, un- the unused covers. Oh, wow. But- which in almost every instance is Richard Howell trying the same sketch, like same position and not doing it as well as the, as dynamically as the used version, uh, which, which in itself is absolutely hilarious. Um, so God, weirdly, and I really hope Marvel does this for other books, uh, Steve Englehart's Marvel Age interview about the series. Oh, that's great. Which is conducted by Kurt Busiek. Of course it is. And the one-page Marvel Age annual preview comic strip. Wow. It's, it's. I mean, for how much is it? It's thirty four ninety nine, which is admittedly pricey. But people, if you're normally spending like $30 on a collection, you honestly could, could do worse than picking up this truly stunning, stunning uh, collection of Steve Englehart's Possibly greatest work. <laughs> because of this, because of this, I am um, actually looked at um, Englehart's website, which I, I look at periodically because. Oh my e- god, Englehart isn't talk- it amazing? Englehart talking about his comics um, is kind of awesome, especially yeah. because um, the reason he gives for not working for Marvel is because, and I quote, Marvel closed down innovation. Yeah, I can see why he would say that, though. Really? Well, okay. Here's okay, my thing. Like Marvel is close to an innovation. No, 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 no. I don't, but I can see why he I mean, would say I, that. I kind of do think Marvel is close to an innovation now. Well, see, but there we I, go, Graham. <laughs> yeah, but at the time, I don't think they did. I don't think that's why they got rid of him in the mid-80s. Uh, he feels that that is why, and I can see, like, Shooter... I think most of those guys got booted from by Shooter unfairly. I don't think. I think Shooter was the one who booted him. I'm pretty oh, sure. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure Defalco was in charge when Engelhardt got dropped. Uh, first time or second time? Uh, second time when he got dropped from Fantastic Four and West Coast Avengers. Well, actually, you know, now that I think about it, Engelhardt is a weird case because he actually left Marvel to go to DC and then. He was leaving comics in the 70s, sort of going out on a high note after having written for both teams. And then after his novel didn't do well, I think he did some animation work, maybe, and then came back in, of course, to Marvel in the 80s. So he actually didn't go through the same thing that, say, Doug Mensch, who was definitely pushed, Steve Gerber, who was pushed. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. No, I I, no, I, I think Engelhardt had a completely different experience, but... um. But definitely by the time he went from West Coast Avengers and DeFalco was in charge, that was not Shooter. Yeah, that is, that is true. And DeFalco did sort of it did quite specifically not dig his stuff and was perfectly okay with having his stuff be overwritten and re-retconned, which is one of those things that I'm never sure. Like Shooter always insisted that he would never allow people's stories to be undone which was a big deal for, for Steve Englehart, you know, when he tried to return to Howard the Duck. 
and and tried not even undoing Bill Mantlo's like black and white Howard the Duck stories, but wanted to like he wasn't happy with where they went, so he came up with a convoluted faux crisis kind of explanation as to what was going on. And Shooter apparently just kept, no pun intended, shooting it down. But uh, but yeah, no, Englehart, very weird, but I can see where by that time, everything that he was trying to do with Marvel, you know, people were not digging, people were totally retconning and erasing behind him. Uh, and that that's a huge difference from when he left the marketplace as as an acknowledged, you know, quote unquote, innovator in the 70s for both Marvel and DC. Yeah, so, I, it's a shame because, like, I look at something like this Vision of Scarlet Witch book and honest to God, I would much rather read that than mm-hmm. like the majority of Marvel's line right now. And it actually really did make me sad that those versions of the characters aren't around anymore. I know at all and frankly have pretty much suffered ever since as far as I'm concerned both both sort of you know uh, uh, metaphorically and and literally those characters have seen you know literally went on to see worse and worse days those were kind of the highlights for the characters and it is I think Englehart is that first I you know was one of those last guys who bought into that idea of like we are you know, take the idea behind that make Marvel characters different is progress. And we move them, we progress them, they change, they grow, and you come up with interesting stories that come out of that. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that, um, and I think he ran smack dab into the, the beginning of Marvel, you know, maintaining the brand kind of thinking, which I don't know if that's really the case or it was just the fact that, like, John Byrne had way more power and was really hideously creeped out by things that were going on. Yeah, it, it's it's way. funny because it took this series to make me realize how much John Byrne did just and like to just spend his entire West Coast Avengers run on yeah, like you said, like, yeah, just like maniacally this one mm-hmm. series. Yeah, yeah, completely, um, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, like it really is kind of odd, but uh, yeah. It, I'm trying to like sum this up quickly because we're coming to the the hour mark. But um, yeah, this this wonderful collection is called A Year in the Life, Vision and Scarlet Witch, A Year in the Life, uh, and oh my god, it's so good. That's great. It's, I will have it's, to. It's good in the it's good in the way that decoded is good. To get back to my decoded, <laughs> as in like it's really terrible, but it's right. so terrible that it's actually genuinely good as well. It's just, it's enjoyable, but not in the way that it was intended to be enjoyable. Right, exactly. But still incredibly entertaining. But still incredibly entertaining, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I I would be remiss, as you point, you mentioned the fact that Englehart was an early writer of of Luke Cage, and I was like, well, they all were. I, I should point out that A, you're absolutely right, because B, Englehart wrote the infamous Where's My Money, Honey? Luke Cage goes to Doctor Doom to get oh, his fifty bucks back, yeah, five hundred dollars yeah. back, or whatever it was. Oh God, it was fifty bucks. That'd be even better. Yeah, I don't think it was it's five. Where bucks. is my fifty cents? <laughs> Damn it, Doom! That can get me two Marvel comic books. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, so I, I do want to give credit that that Englehart, although his run on the book was very short, uh, that Doc Doom Luke Cage confrontation is is a is a classic. Um, probably uh, then overlooked, but now much beloved. So yeah, yeah I should give Englehart his chops. So the idea of him popping up, Luke Cage popping up to celebrate Martin Luther King Day with Vision and Scarlet Witch, kind of amazing to con- contemplate. I really do. Like I, I had forgotten. I don't know why, how I bleached my brain that I was able to forget that. Oh, seriously, you should you should search this collection. You you would love it. I'm not joking. You know, I would, but there's part of me that's also like, when you say search the collection out, I mean, search, I would probably get all those issues, issues yeah. for probably $6 as opposed to thirty four ninety nine. I mean, that's the thing that's really amazing. I'm glad that they came out with that collection in a way, historically, so that the Portland Library can have it. Um, yeah, exactly. So that's exactly why they came out with it. So yeah. the Portland Library can have it. <laughs> <laughs> It would explain so much. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, this has been an hour. Yes, uh, and we should we should say again, listeners, that um, the reason we're trying to get all these done like an hour is so that for you, so you. you could get an entire 
like collection, a cluster, if you, mm -hmm. uh, of our thoughts in one very short amount of time. <laughs> and you don't have to be like, I'm going to commit three hours of my life in the hope that Graham and Jeff will get to the end of a thought. Close your eyes. <laughs>